Hi, I'm Charlotte, Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukaemia Care, and this is our podcast, Leukaemia Chatters. My phone started ringing and the receptionist sounded quite panicked and said, where are you? Um, And I explained that I was at work and she asked me how quickly I could get to the doctor's surgery. And it was at that point that I knew something very, very serious was wrong. I could sense the urgency in her voice. So our regular listeners will remember that September is Blood Cancer Awareness Month. For the last three years, we've been running the Spot Leukemia campaign during that month, urging people to contact a GP if they have symptoms that could indicate a leukemia. So this podcast will tell the story of Alex and how she came to be diagnosed with a type of leukemia called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. I'm Alex, I'm 27 years old, and in April 2019, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. I was 25 at the time of diagnosis, and I was living in Hong Kong for work. And when I was diagnosed, my consultant in Hong Kong predicted that I'd had acute leukemia for approximately four months before I was diagnosed. The problem with leukemia is that there isn't a lump or anything that stands out that says potentially cancer, see the doctor. The symptoms are non-specific. They could be other things. Alex had a busy life, which would tire anyone out. But in hindsight, the signs were there, and they were getting worse. I would say I started to notice symptoms around January time in 2019. It started with getting more frequent infections than usual. I was also quite pale and feeling increasingly fatigued. And at the time, although I'd never actually had anemia, I predicted that maybe I was becoming anemic. So I actually went to the doctor in January and told them that I didn't quite feel right. But then they said, oh, it is likely that maybe you're slightly anemic. Please try and take some supplements. And if the symptoms don't improve, then come back to us. Um, but I was distracted with work and planning my move to Hong Kong. And so I think I just adjusted to my new lower energy levels um, and it sort of fell to the back of my mind. Um, I flew out to Hong Kong in March um, and that's when I started to notice um, slightly slightly bigger symptoms. Like um, it took me a really long time to recover from the flight I was really tired for the first few weeks in Hong Kong, really struggling with jet lag. Um, I was becoming paler and paler and people had started to comment and make jokes that um, I was living in a warm climate, but I was getting paler by the day. Um, But it wasn't until I started getting bruises on my legs and occasionally on my arms as well. um, that I started to think maybe something more sinister was happening. I'm I'm typically not the kind of person that bruises that easily. Um, And it was just a kind of increasing amount of bruises that I was noticing. And sometimes I would have banged my leg, um, but I'd get a disproportionately bad bruise from it. And other times I would just, a bruise would appear and I'd have no idea how I'd got that bruise. Um, sometimes I'd be out with friends and they'd say, what's that on your arm? And it would be a bruise and I had no idea where it had come from. Looking back, um, while they were all there kind of screaming at me, they are in isolation, such vague symptoms that it was so easy for me to explain what, you know, explain them away essentially 
fatigue. I thought, well, I've been working long hours. I've just moved abroad. It's a new time zone. That's why I'm tired. Or you know, having night sweats. Hong Kong is very humid. So I just presumed that I was overheating in the night. Frequent infections, I put down to it being winter and feeling maybe a bit run down. And the same thing with being pale. I have fair skin anyway, um, but I just thought, you know, I need a good holiday. That's why I'm so pale. Um, and I guess the, the bruising was the only thing that I couldn't explain. And, and that's what prompted me to go to the doctor. There was one particular peculiar thing that made Alex think that doesn't make sense. Hong Kong is a very, it's a late night city and it's very, very common for people after work to go out for dinner together, go for drinks in the rooftop bars. Um, it's a fantastic lifestyle to lead, um, but it means that you're often getting home late at night, um, which was another thing that I possibly used to explain why I was feeling so fatigued. Um, but yes, I was living in an area called mid-levels, which is as the name suggests, mid-level up um, the peak. And um, it's, it's very, very hilly. There are lots of steps. And so they have this mechanical um, escalator that everyone literally rides to and from work. Um, but it gets switched off at midnight because of the noise. Um, so I would often miss the escalator because I was out with my friends. So I'd have to walk up the static escalator, which in the beginning wasn't too difficult. So at the beginning of March, I was finding that still quite easy to do. But by the beginning of April, it was becoming increasingly difficult. I was having to stop to catch my breath. And there was one particular evening just before I went to the doctor's where I had to stop at the top and lean against the wall. And I, I felt like my lungs were going to explode. It was so painful. And I kind of made this vow to myself, you've got to get back in the gym on Monday. You're really unfit. Um, which looking back didn't make any sense because I was, I was walking up the escalators all the time. I should have been finding them easier, not, not more difficult. There was one final group of symptoms that made Alex want to find out more. Eventually, on top of the bruises, I got this kind of purple rash all over my legs, which was kind of purple speckles, but it wasn't a raised rash. It was beneath the skin. When I googled um, the, the rash, it said that perhaps there was something wrong with my blood. And it said that perhaps it was leukemia. And you always look when you're looking online for what might be wrong. You always look to the worst one first. So I clicked on leukemia and saw a list of the symptoms and realized that I had almost every one of them, um, but I hadn't really noticed because they're so vague. Things like fatigue, breathlessness going upstairs, um, night sweats as well. I'd also had a particularly heavy period the month before, which was very unusual for me. In the end, Alice had to look her symptoms up, but she didn't know what to make of what she found, and neither did those around her. This was a few days before I went to the doctor um, and so I, I googled the symptoms and I mentioned the fact that I'd googled them and that perhaps I had leukemia to quite a few people, um, family and friends um, and everyone just kind of brushed it off. Um, they thought I was being a bit dramatic um, and in truth I think in my heart, I felt that I was being dramatic as well. Um, 
I just thought that I was going to go to the doctor perhaps and he was going to say to me that um, I had a, a severe case of anemia and I needed a blood transfusion and, and that would fix it. Um, so I didn't, even at the point when I went to the doctors, I didn't truly believe that I could have leukemia. Just a few days before I went to see the doctor, I'd been rock climbing in the daytime. Um, I went out for dinner and then out clubbing with my friends in Hong Kong. Um, life was still fairly normal, um, but I was struggling to keep up at work, struggling to concentrate, um, feeling less and less inclined to do a workout because it was getting harder and harder to do it. Um, and now I realise why. We also spoke to Alex's mum, Lisa, to get her side of the story. Here she describes what she said to Alex when Alex mentioned that she'd Googled the symptoms and found leukaemia. I can remember my exact words. And I said, don't be so bloody stupid. Of course you haven't got leukaemia. Don't be so dramatic. Because she has a tendency when something's wrong to be a little bit dramatic. And it never crossed my mind that it could be leukaemia. Alex eventually decided to see a GP to get the symptoms checked out even if she and her mum weren't too worried about the GP result. Naturally, the GP thought the answer was something more common to start with. When I saw the GP, he said to me that it was quite clear that something was happening in my blood, but he wasn't sure what it was. But he didn't seem concerned. Um, at least he didn't let on that he was concerned, if, if he was concerned. He suggested that perhaps it was the contraceptive pill that I was taking, maybe messing around with my blood and that the best thing to do would be to do a blood test just to check everything was okay. And he advised me that he'd probably call me to ask me to stop taking the contraceptive pill based on the results. Um, I wasn't sure about that as a theory, given that I'd been on it for so many years and it hadn't caused those effects before. Um, but he, he really didn't seem particularly concerned um, that it could be blood cancer. But he took one crucial step that solved the riddle in doing a blood test. He gave me um, a blood test that day um, and the patch where they took the blood from on my arm immediately bruised quite badly. Um, but then I just returned to work and didn't think too much more about it. And it was only the next morning Literally, as I sat down at my desk at 9am, my phone started ringing and the receptionist sounded quite panicked and said, where are you? Um, and I explained that I was at work and she asked me how quickly I could get to the doctor's surgery. And it was at that point that I knew something very, very serious was wrong. I could sense the urgency in her voice. Um, and when I arrived at the doctor's surgery, the doctor had actually postponed his clinic because he was waiting to see me. And when I walked in, he, I just, you know, I said, oh, hello, good morning, how are you? Looking for reassurance. And his face was deadly serious. And I just remember sitting down and he said, I'm afraid it's not very good news today. You've got acute leukemia. Um, and at that point, I just started to cry hysterically it's I, I thought you always imagine that you know the way the way diagnosis is portrayed on tv is that 
you kind of lose your sense of hearing and the room blurs and you're not able to take in anything that anyone is saying to you. But for me, I just became hyper aware of what was happening. And I, I immediately experienced those feelings of um, panic and desperation, essentially. He was certain I had acute leukemia, but he, he needed a specialist to confirm the precise form and that he, he, he confirmed that he'd already booked an appointment for me with a haematologist that was going to happen in like three hours time. And I think I realised at that point how serious that was. Reeling from such a shocking diagnosis, far from home, there were people Alex wanted to call, to be near to, but they were too far away. Then I was faced with the not so ideal situation of having just been diagnosed with blood cancer um, in a city that I still didn't really know that well. Um, and, I, you know, my colleagues at work were incredibly supportive, but I still had, I'd only met them seven weeks before. Um, so I felt really lonely and isolated in that moment. Um, and knowing that everyone back home in the UK was asleep as well was, was really hard. And, and it was just such a lonely moment in my life um so I left the doctor's surgery pulled myself together a little bit I stood in a door I remember so vividly I stood in a doorway um on the street where the doctor's surgery was um and there were some workmen working nearby and I was periodically in floods of tears trying to calm myself and then they kept staring at me um they must it must have been quite a bizarre thing to watch um and I, I made the decision to call my mum and wake her up. Um, she, she knew that I'd been to the doctor. And I just remember thinking, I'm just going to wait five more minutes because right now my mum is fast asleep. She's blissfully unaware that... <coughs> Sorry. She's fast asleep. She's blissfully unaware that her only birth child has leukaemia. And I, I want it to stay that way for just five more minutes. So <clears throat> the five minutes passed and I called my mum and I told her that I had leukaemia and that I was going to see a specialist in a few hours. And I just remember her screaming down the phone at me, just repeatedly saying, no, no, girls like you don't get leukaemia. And... It was just so upsetting because to, to give your parent that kind of news and to be so far from them, um, not only did I feel lonely, but I'd made her feel that loneliness as well. And for her, it was the middle of the night. And so it's kind of even darker to hear that kind of news, quite literally. Here's Lisa recording that terrible call. I'd gone to Spain um, when she rang me with the diagnosis, I'd actually, I'd put the, my foster children in an activity camp for a week and I'd gone to Spain for five days for a break. And I, I, Alex's cousin lives out in Spain, so I was staying near her and she rang me. At when my phone rang at 3.30 in the morning, I knew what she was going to say because I knew she'd had blood tests the day before and I thought there's no way she would ring me at 3.30 if she was a bit anemic. I'd be able to wait. It was just sheer disbelief. 
it just that wave of terror just hit me. It goes from your head down to your toes and it just blind terror. And she was standing in the street crying. And I can remember just saying to her, just go back to your office, go back to your office, please don't be on your own, you know? And I knew she got an appointment with the um, Dr. Lou at noon. And I said, please just go back to your office and don't be alone. And then for the rest of the night, it was the longest night of my life. And I just sat there and it was dark and I couldn't really call anybody or do anything at that time. And it just seemed to take forever for the daylight to come. Alex needed to be with others to be comforted, but options were limited. Telling her co-workers, who she hadn't really known for that long, was a strange experience. So I went back to my office um, and one of my colleagues was sharing an office with me. And he said, how did the doctors go? And I said, I've got leukemia and I broke down. And before I'd left the office, he'd heard my call with the receptionist. And when I got off the phone and I was packing up my things to go to the doctor's surgery, he said to me, um, oh, where, where should we go for lunch later? And I turned to him and I said, what if they're about to tell me that I've got leukemia? And he said, oh, don't be so silly. Of course they're not. You know, while you're waiting for the doctor, just have a think about where we should go for lunch today. Um, that's kind of how well I looked and how unobvious it was that I was as sick as I was and um, so I kind of went through the conversation with the doctor with him and another colleague came in um, and caught me in floods of tears and I think she thought that maybe I'd had a breakup or something um, and when I told her I remember the colour just draining from her face <coughs> um, and I think when people react visibly to that kind of news, it makes you panic more because seeing the fear in other people's faces makes you experience it on a different level. Despite the shock, there was yet more information for Alex to take in as she went along to see the haematologist at noon. So one of my colleagues came with me to meet my haematologist in Hong Kong. Um, and at that point, I knew next to nothing about the blood or even leukemia itself. I knew that it was a cancer of the blood. Um, but beyond that, I'd, I'd, I quickly Googled the fact that, you know, there were different kinds of leukemia. And I knew it was chronic and acute. But the doctor had been clear with me that my particular levels detected in my blood suggested acute leukemia. Um, but I, I tried to avoid Googling the specific forms of leukemia before I went because I didn't want to worry myself. I wanted to hear it from an expert. And the haematologist in Hong Kong was incredible. He was so helpful. He, he took me through step by step how the blood is formed, what the different components are, the, the function of the bone marrow, and why he was certain that I did have acute leukemia. And he explained to me the different types that I might have and what the implications would be. He talked me through the fact that I would need to have chemotherapy um, for an extensive period of time 
which I found very upsetting because when you're diagnosed with acute leukemia and someone says you might be having chemotherapy for two and a half years, that is, it's on top of having just been diagnosed with cancer, it just feels like it's, it's never going to end really. Um, and he also suggested that based on my test results, I might need to have a stem cell transplant as well at some point. And I was completely oblivious and ignorant to what that entailed. And I actually said to him, does that mean you'll have to cut open every bone in my body and, and scrape out the bone marrow and put someone else's in? Um, and he was very, very good at explaining to me that it was actually a fairly simple procedure in terms of how the transplant took place. Um, but he was very clear that I was at that moment in time in quite a lot of danger which took me by surprise, really. I was quite shocked by how aggressive um, leukemia is, acute leukemia. Um, and he said to me, you'll need to go to hospital immediately after this appointment. And just to warn you, you're going to be in hospital for a month and possibly more. He made it very clear that I wasn't safe to fly and so flying back to the UK at that point was not an option for me um, and that I'd need to start chemotherapy in the next few days um, so I said to him okay I'll just go back to my flat quickly get some stuff for the hospital and I'll be there in a few hours and he, I remember him saying to me no no you the only thing you're allowed to do after this consultation is get in a taxi and go straight to the hospital one of your friends is going to have to go to your flat and get your stuff because if you trip up on the way home, on the escalator, um, which actually happens quite regularly, um, he said if you were to um, fall and bang your head or knock an internal organ, you could bleed to death at this point because your platelets are so low. Um, we wouldn't be able to control the bleeding. Um, and that kind of really focused my mind about the situation I was in. And then I replied saying, I was rock climbing three weeks ago, three days ago. Um, and he said, um, well, it's a good job you didn't fall off the wall. <laughs> I got in a taxi and went to the hospital and that's when things started to get a bit blurry. Um, I think I got to the reception and had to tell them about my diagnosis and which ward I needed to go to. And that was really the first time other than speaking to my colleagues when it was all very, very new to me, that was the first time once I had an understanding of what leukemia truly was, where I'd had to um, actually say it out loud. Um, I've been diagnosed with acute leukemia um, and that, that really upset me. Um, and when I got to the hospital, I was just in constantly in floods of tears very, very frightened. Um, the, one of the nurses did an ECG on my heart and I cried throughout the whole thing. And she said at the end, oh my gosh, did I do something wrong to you? And I just turned to her and said, no, it's just that I, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And again, I watched the color drain from her face um, and that just made me feel even worse. Um, but. In that evening, around six o'clock, I had my first bone marrow biopsy. And thankfully, they, they put me to sleep for that one um, because I was very, very nervous about it. 
Um, and that was the biopsy that confirmed that I had pre-B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. With the added challenge of mum being thousands of miles away, Alex got creative to keep everyone in the loop. I recorded my consultations with my consultant in, in Hong Kong and would send them to my mum as soon as the consultation had finished so that at least she could have all the information that I was getting. She would also, we would speak on the phone six, seven, eight times a day. Um, it was quite difficult because of the different time zones. Um, I would often be awake for a very long time in my day in Hong Kong before she was awake. Uh, and then I would obviously go to sleep quite early on in her day. Um, but during that time, we would speak on the phone quite regularly and also FaceTime, which I think was really helpful because she could see that I didn't look particularly unwell. Um, it's just that I was particularly unwell. But at least she felt kind of reassured that um, I still looked like me. Um, and I also was WhatsApping her and WhatsApping my friends. Um, but I think the, the best thing that we did was recording the consultations. Um, and, and that way she felt kind of more involved in what was happening. Um, I think there were also occasions where she spoke to my consultant over the phone as well and was able to ask questions herself. So that was definitely very helpful. But eventually um, she was able to come out to Hong Kong um, to be with me while I was in hospital. Um, but that didn't happen until I was most of the way through my first chemotherapy cycle. People with leukaemia often feel alone and isolated at diagnosis, like there is no one who understands what they're going through. Here's Alex's words of advice for anyone who might be in that situation right now. Being diagnosed with leukaemia is terrifying and it takes some time to, to fully get your head around the diagnosis. Um, in the beginning, it's very confusing because there's a lot of terminology being used that you're not used to and you're having to learn about how your body works um, and those sorts of concepts might be quite new. And it adds a whole other layer of stress on top of an already stressful situation. But my advice would just be to be as patient as possible because things get better. You reach a calmer point, a point of acceptance with the diagnosis, a point of understanding about your treatment and how everything works. And things do feel less overwhelming with each day that passes. Um, but when things are feeling overwhelming in the beginning, it's just important to let that emotion out and also to share that emotion with your friends and family don't don't try and be strong about it because it's arguably the biggest moment in your life so far um and odds are nothing's ever going to come close to that moment and it's okay to fall apart but just to feel reassured that eventually you'll pull yourself back together again and and find the strength that you need Alex and Nisa shared their story as part of our Spot Leukemia campaign. We asked them why being able to spot leukemia signs and symptoms and getting an early diagnosis is so important. First of all, the symptoms of leukemia are so incredibly vague. It's 
as we've discussed, it's easy to write off symptoms in isolation. But if people were to have an awareness of what the symptoms are as a group, then maybe they could understand earlier on that actually they are experiencing both fatigue and breathlessness. And those two things together might be indicative of something more serious. Um, I think it's also very important because it seems as if lots of GPs aren't particularly aware of the symptoms due to their vague nature. And so a, a better education for the, the population as a whole, not just GPs, but also the patients themselves, might help to lead to an earlier diagnosis because people might feel more comfortable pushing a little bit harder for a blood test earlier on. I think if, if I'd been aware um, of the symptoms such as frequent infections and paleness and fatigue, I would have been able to go to my GP back in January 2019 and say, actually, I've got three symptoms that together are, could be indicative of something more serious and I would like a blood test. But when I went to the GP, I wasn't armed with that knowledge. And so I felt comforted by the fact that the GP said it is probably just anemia. And I, I didn't feel that I had any particular ammunition or any particular reason to push for a blood test at that stage. But now that I know what I know, I realise I did have leukaemia at that point. I had detected that change in my body so early on in the disease. And if I'd been diagnosed in January 2019, my life might have turned out very differently. I, I might have been able to avoid having a stem cell transplant, for instance. So I just think that it's important for people to be aware of, of, as you say, the clusters of symptoms so that it's harder for them to write off the symptoms and, and find excuses for the symptoms. Early diagnosis can mean the difference between you living and dying. And I believe the earlier what your counts are when you're first diagnosed is important because if they're, you know, with your chances of survival. You can find both Alex's and Lisa's videos for the Spot Leukemia campaign on our YouTube channel, or their written stories in the inspirational story section of our website. To find out more about the Spot Leukemia campaign, visit spotleukemia.org.uk. Find the campaigns page on our website, or visit our Twitter account at Spot Leukemia. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk, or call our helpline 08088. 010444. See you next month.